Welcome to the Positive Impact Podcast, where we dive into the world of movers, shakers, and changemakers, creating a positive impact on the world. This is your host, Alexandra Black Pollock, and together we're going to tackle real issues, discovering how we can make the world a better place. Well, we've got another inspiring episode for you today, and we're going to be diving into an area that you typically don't think about when it comes to social entrepreneurism, and that's your money. Not just your money, because you know we can all donate and be philanthropists, but this is your investing. So our guest today is going to show you how you can actually get an ROI on your investments through what's called impact investing. And additionally, we're also going to talk about angel investing for those social entrepreneurs. But first, this episode of the Positive Impact Podcast is brought to you by HelloFresh. Tired of the grocery store? Looking to spice up dinners? HelloFresh delivers delicious ingredients and easy recipes straight to your door. Take $40 off your first box at positiveimpactpodcast.com fresh. You'll be enjoying cooking again in no time. To my listener, you should know that today's episode was recorded on site in Chicago at Impact Engine. And while I had gone there with my mics in tow and all my recording equipment, once I got there, everything went kaput. So from that co-working space in Chicago, today's guest and I rolled on and went in backup mode with a handheld recorder. So while today's audio is going to sound a little bit different than normal, hang around because I promise you all of the information is going to be top notch. Today, I'm joined by a true mover and shaker, Elizabeth Koston, who is going to dive into an area of our lives that we never truly think about how to apply social principle to, our financial investment. Elizabeth is dedicated to helping drive a positive impact, particularly through entrepreneurship and investing through her role of Director of Operations and Investor Relations at Impact Engine here in Chicago. Thank you, Elizabeth, so much for joining me today. Happy to be here and excited to talk about impact investing. Fantastic. So let's start off with... What is impact investing? So a lot of people define it in many different ways, but I think the simplest definition that I go by is investing in companies not only for financial returns, but also for social and environmental impact. Thank you for keeping that simple, because as we've mentioned before, investing can be very complex. When we're looking to apply this through that kind of dual spectrum, do I as the investor have to give up my financial returns to investing companies that are going to create a positive impact. How does this work? That's definitely one of the topics that gets touched upon most frequently when we're talking about impact investing. So a lot of people think that there is a trade-off between impact and financial returns. And there's kind of a spectrum if you want to think about it. So there definitely are investments that you can make where you say, you know, I'm willing to take less than a market rate return in order to generate outsized social or environmental impact. But we believe at Impact Engine, and a lot of people kind of in this field of impact investing now, believe actually that social or environmental impact can drive financial returns. And companies that are thinking about the impact that they're having on people and on the planet, those who are more mindful are going to resonate more with customers, they're going to attract better employees, and they're going to be more competitive relative to their peers. So we actually believe that companies that are thinking about impact potentially could generate competitive, if not better, returns than other companies. So what you're almost saying is that companies that work to create social change and that are better companies are going to outperform in the market. That is where I'm putting my money in my mouth, yes. I mean, I, you know, I don't think that um, 
all of society has caught up to that notion yet. So I think there's still, you know, some demonstration of that to be done. But I do believe that kind of where we're moving towards and, you know, the millennial generation and people just being much more aware about the impact that all of their actions are having, I think that that is increasingly going to drive better performance for companies that are thoughtful about those same things that the consumers are trying to think about. It makes perfect sense, though, because as a consumer, when I look to buy products, I am moving more and more towards finding companies that are socially minded, who create both compelling, amazing products that are just super high quality, but also impact the world, whether it's through using sustainable materials, the one-for-one model, or just driving social change through their company culture. It's going to be the natural progression, then, to apply those same principles for me as a consumer to my actual investing. Yeah, um, I think that it's not something that people have typically thought about when they're making their investments. They kind of just put money aside and they, you know, think like grow with with the stock market or whatever and kind of address their investments with one side of their mind and then all their other decisions and behaviors with another. And I do think that there's an opportunity to start using impact, social and environmental impact, as a lens through which to evaluate your investments. That's huge because I know for me... This term, impact investing, is very new. So I've just sent money off to my investor every month, say, you know, grow this, let me reach retirement with a little bit of a nest egg. But now I have the ability to apply that through a different lens and apply my money through a different lens. I guess I've been guilty, and I've seen you guys touch on this topic before, of viewing your philanthropy efforts through a very different lens and applying different principles than you do your financial. Are you guys finding that a lot? Yeah, that's definitely one of the um, issues that we run up against when we're trying to educate people and bring them into the impact investing world is that people think of the money, you know, I'm going to earn a certain amount of money per year and I'm going to dedicate 5 or 10% of that or whatever it is to donations and I'm going to support my friends who are running in races or give to my favorite local charity and then the rest of my money that I'm investing, I'm just sort of not thinking about what impact that money is having. But we believe there doesn't need to be that sort of dividing line between the way you think about your philanthropic dollars and the way you think about your investment dollars, that the same causes that you care about as a donor, you can care about as an investor and make your investment decisions with those frame of references in mind. Now, one of the cool things looking into this space is seeing what an impact this can drive. Can you kind of touch on what the possibilities are for socially minded companies and just, I guess, the society as a whole, if people start reallocating their investments towards socially minded companies? Yeah, so the the total investable assets that are out there are about $60 trillion. And right now, you know, if you think of it as people do where philanthropy is separate, that is $300 billion, which is a lot of money. But actually, when you kind of compare it to the total investable asset pool, it's pretty small. And impact investing is projected to be about $600 billion in the next um, five to 10 years. So again, you know, a not insignificant amount of money, but relative to the amount of total dollars that are out there being invested, it's still very small. So what's really exciting is that even though we're kind of in the early stages of this movement, there's a huge potential for impact through investments as people increasingly incorporate impact considerations into how they're um, investing their dollars. Yeah, $600 billion is not a small movement by any means. And granted, that's the projected, but it means that this idea is really gaining traction. It also means that it's starting to resonate with people. 
What I'm also hoping that it started to prove is that people are seeing returns in this area. So what are some of the biggest misconceptions that people have when it comes to impact investing? So I think we touched on one a little earlier in the conversation, which is that impact investing means you're not going to get financial returns. And I think that that is up to the investor, and it depends on what asset class you're looking at. So if you're investing in stocks, you're taking higher than average risk, but you should be expecting to generate higher returns as a result of that. Mm -hmm. And I think with impact investing, you kind of just have to use that same that same frame of mind. Like if you're going to put an equity investment into a company, you know you're taking risk, but you we think that with impact investing, you can still generate significant financial returns with that. Take me, a typical, a typical American citizen. I send my money off to a financial advisor every month. When I want to start making the turn to actual impact investing, how do I do that? Are there certain products that are already designated? Am I going to have to coach my financial advisor on what this looks like if he's maybe a little more old school? What's the tactical application? How do people start making this move? Yeah, I think a lot of people have interest, but they get kind of paralyzed when it comes to execution. And I think financial advisors can play a big role in, they need to educate themselves so that they can help their clients. But I think right now what we're seeing is a lot of activity is driven by clients and they are actually the ones that are educating their financial advisors and saying, excuse me, I'm interested in impact investing. You know, how can you help me execute this strategy? So I think there's a couple of simple steps you can take to get started. One is to just sit down and think about for yourself what areas are you interested in focusing on? So are you committed to you know, women's health or do you care about people in emerging market economies? Um, or do you really care about the environment and resource efficiency? So you want to invest in sort of clean tech companies. So just start with a really high level idea of how you, you know, ideally would like to focus your money. And then you can start to talk to your advisor about what sort of mutual funds or companies are out there that are more oriented towards the sectors that you're interested in. And then there's also something that's called negative screening, which is also a really easy first step. So if there are areas that you know you absolutely don't want to be contributing your capital towards and um, some popular ones to divest from are fossil fuels or tobacco or firearms companies. So where you say, even if I'm not quite clear on what impact I do want to have, I know what impact I don't want to have and make sure that those types of companies are not in my portfolio. It's so interesting that you bring up those companies because those are very profitable industries. The one that you just touched on to not invest in, which were firearms, tobacco, fossil fuels. Because oftentimes, me as the investor, I could have some element of my portfolio investing in fossil fuels. And then my charitable giving, on the other hand, is in environmental causes. And I'm almost kind of negating my entire impact by investing on the other side. Yeah, I think people, just like I was saying before, they're kind of using two different sides of their brain and they're not connecting the dots that it's it's sort of hypocritical and counterintuitive that you would be supporting one cause with some of your dollars and kind of betting against it with another piece of your portfolio. So I think that is a big um, part of, of impact investing is just wrapping your head around you know, I think increasingly we're becoming sort of a more holistic society where you want to think about all elements of your, you know, your life being connected. And I think the same goes with your dollars and your investments and your philanthropy. You just kind of want to start at a really high level and say, what do I care about? And how are the decisions that I'm making in my financial portfolio reflecting that decision or not reflecting that decision? And what steps can I take to make it reflect who, you know, my values and who I want to be? That's so powerful right there. 
it also really drives home the point that you can start small. And it's okay to start small. Just like as a consumer, when you want to start investing in socially minded or even environmentally friendly products, it starts with a couple purchases. What it sounds like is with investing, you can maybe just start with a dialogue mm -hmm. with your investor and say, I, I'm interested in this. I've heard this crazy term, impact investing, on this crazy podcast that I listen to. How do I start learning more about that? And maybe just moving a portion of your portfolio out. And you can probably test it out, too, and prove this idea that you can still make returns. Yeah, I think there's nothing wrong with, and I would highly encourage taking one step at a time, um, because I think there is a lot of education that happens along the way, and I think when you can try something out and figure out what works for you and what doesn't, then you can sort of learn from that and apply that as you continue to change the rest of your portfolio. I think we have seen some people get burned in the past where they say, impact investing, that sounds really cool. I'm going to go like for it all, you know, all in. They haven't done their research. Maybe they pick some kind of funny companies that, that don't actually do very well. And then they lose heart, you know, and they say, impact investing, it was a sham, I don't believe in it, I'm not doing that again. But I think it was because they didn't take the time to educate themselves and understand, you know, the specific risks and rewards of specific opportunities. And so I think taking a gradual approach and learning as you go makes a lot of sense. Those sound very similar to principles that you should apply in any investing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. Right. And that's the thing. It's impact investing is just a form of investing. So all of the same kind of safeguards that you want to establish for yourself with regular investing, you'd want to do for impact investing. And this is not something that's totally outside the realm of traditional financial tools. Like you want to use those same practices and tools that you would for impact investing. We've touched on what it looks like from the consumer standpoint. What does it look like from the company standpoint? Do you have any experience as far as the company side once they start getting investment, how that might alter or improve their current stance or their ability to actually create change? So I think there's different um, answers to this question depending on whether you're talking about small or large companies. Well, let's start off with small okay. and then work our way up. Yeah. So I think when you're starting a company, it's much easier to be thoughtful about these things from the beginning where you can say, you know, I want to think about paying my employees a fair wage or sourcing my materials from an ethical supply chain. And if you make those tough decisions up front and commit to those, then as you grow, it's easier to scale your impact. Um, I think with larger companies, they are seeing that in order to be competitive from a consumer standpoint, they need to start addressing these issues. But it's hard, you know, given the size and scale of their operations to kind of affect wholesale change right away. But I do think we're seeing those companies increasingly trying to figure out ways to start small and then get bigger. Um, so I think, you know, McDonald's is a company that people love to hate. <laughs> and there's a lot of things that, that they need to improve on. But we are starting to see that they're making those types of changes that we would want to see as consumers who care about impact. So, you know, they're, they're not going to have food with antibiotics in it anymore. Um, they're trying to look more carefully at their supply chain and understand kind of where they're sourcing things from. So, I think even big companies have the opportunity and the ability to change and realize that they need to do so in order to be competitive today. Um, it's just going to take them a little bit longer than companies that are starting out now and can make those right decisions from the beginning. It's so great that you bring up McDonald's 
because next week I'll be interviewing Bob Langhart, the former social responsibility chair for McDonald's, and we'll be diving into how a corporate company can actually apply these environmental principles and what advantages and disadvantages they have in creating change. A little teaser for you guys, McDonald's is actually not one of the biggest meat buyers out there. Mind-blowing. But more on that next week. But back to companies actually building these practices in. If you take, say, a fair amount of America and they start slowly switching over their investments to impact investing, is that going to give these companies a much bigger competitive edge out there? Is this going to help spur growth? What are some maybe tangible things that we might start to see with companies as impact investing grows? Yeah, one of the things I think that's that's fun and funny is a lot of the companies that we work with at Impact Engine, um, so we call the people that we work with social entrepreneurs because they're addressing social and environmental issues with their businesses, but they don't necessarily label themselves as social entrepreneurs when they're getting started. They just say, this is an issue that I'm passionate about solving, and I think I've come up with a way to help address that issue through my business. And I'm looking for anyone who believes in me to give me capital to help me grow that business, right? And so then we kind of introduce entrepreneurs to the topic and the tool of impact investing as well. Let's say there are people out there who really want to put their investments towards causes and problems that they you know, believe are going to have a powerful impact on our future. And so if you label yourself as a social entrepreneur, you actually can connect with those impact investors because they want to put their money into businesses like yours. So I think, yeah, as you're saying, as people increasingly become aware of impact investing and start to channel their dollars towards these companies that are making a positive impact, we will see those are the companies that are succeeding and able to actually impact our future. It's really exciting that you bring up this idea of social entrepreneurs, because at the core of impact investing, it's really putting a stake in the ground and saying that for-profit companies can create change especially with your work at Impact Engine, where you guys work on boots on the ground with social entrepreneurs. Can you touch on the role of for-profit companies in really creating a positive impact in today's society? Yeah, so at Impact Engine, we look for companies that have a social or environmental impact baked into their business model. So while we love a company like Tom's, they're operating with a one-for-one model where let's say that they stopped giving away those shoes, they could still potentially sell the pairs of shoes that they're marketing, right? Because they're cute and they're comfortable and people like them. Um, But what we're looking for is for-profit companies where the actual product or service that they're selling has a positive social or or environmental impact so that as they scale their business and as they grow their revenues, they are growing their impact side by side with that. So the bigger these for-profit companies get, the more positive impact that they're having. So that's why we think social entrepreneurship is such a powerful tool for change. This idea of baked in, conceptually I get it, but can you give me some tangible examples? Because everyone, once you talk about social entrepreneurism, Tom shoes, and it's almost the only model that we can ever think of. Yep. So can you bring that home a little bit? Sure. Um, so one of the companies in our portfolio is called Zero Percent, and their idea is to try and reduce our food waste to zero percent. So they are kind of a middleman between... Um, commercial kitchens and large food service providers. So, you know, commercial sandwich shops, restaurants, like whatever your favorite restaurant is in your local town, think of that. And that is what we're talking about. They have a lot of food that they can't use at the end of every day. And they end up mostly just throwing it away. But 0% will come and collect that food from them. That's, you know, 
not kind of on the edge of edible, <laughs> um, and connect it with local charities, food charities, so um, homeless shelters or soup kitchens who always need a constant influx of food. So they're connecting hungry people with excess food. And the way they have a business model out of it, instead of making it just a, you know, kind of charitable, nice to do, is that these businesses actually can get tax credits by making these food donations. And so 0% is enabling them to get this financial return, um, and they just take a portion of that, that tax incentive that they get. That's absolutely brilliant. They're just the middleman. Yep. So they're able to, you know, reduce food waste at the same time that they are generating profits for themselves. And it's kind of our perfect situation because it's a win-win-win, right? Like there's zero percent as a business is now creating employment. They are sustainable because they're generating their own income. The homeless shelters are getting a more reliable and, and oftentimes actually healthy source of food for their population so they can serve more people more consistently. And then the businesses are also kind of getting a good PR aspect of this in addition to actually improving their own financial statements. You're right. That is a win-win-win. <laughs> can you maybe dive into another example? Just sure. Because there's so much versatility in this space. Yeah, and this is my favorite thing to talk about because it's really... It's, these are the best conversations to have when people don't understand what social entrepreneurs can look like to give those tangible examples and you know drive home like what does it actually mean. So another example, uh, again, an impact engine portfolio company called Adovo. And the guy who started this company, his dad was an educator in the prison system in California. And he would hear stories from his dad about how these guys were so hungry for knowledge. They really liked learning. They liked taking these courses. Um, but there just weren't enough resources in the jails to provide them with education. So the advent of technology, like we have to use technology as a way to solve this problem. Um, so he was passionate about connecting these jail and prison populations with educational opportunities. So they have created this tablet system that's preloaded with a bunch of content. It's internet connected. Um, and you can do anything from complete your GED to do money management courses or you know, family like skills co coaching, um, and it's gamification as kind of is also a hot tech trend. So you can kind of get little rewards and incentives to motivate you to keep going to the next level to complete um, different courses. And they've had these in a couple of prisons. The inmates are really engaged with the tablets. They see them spending you know quality time and getting a benefit from this. And kind of the long-term benefit for the prison systems is hopefully, and, and the theory is that in kind of educating themselves and bettering themselves, these people will have more opportunities when they leave jail. They'll be able to get jobs. They'll be able to kind of hold down um, steady income and have better family life. And so they're not going to commit as many crimes. So the recidivism rate, which is the rate at which people who have left jail um, and recommit a crime should go down over time. So this business is making money because they're charging the prison systems for these tablets, but the prison systems are incentivized to purchase them for the inmates because over time it's going to reduce overcrowding, kind of make um, the inmates behave better while they're in, in jail. So again, it's a, it's a win for everybody. I would never think to apply a model to a jail. I mean, the innovation in this space is just mind-blowing because in the two examples that you've just given, one is addressing food from restaurants and the over surplus over excess amount of food, 
And the other one is educating inmates. Mm -hmm. The number of different models that you guys must see is mind-blowing. Yeah, I mean, we, we're focused on um, businesses that are operating in education, economic empowerment, healthcare, and resource efficiency. That's where we have mentors and people where we think we can add value to those types of companies, and we think that there's a lot of growth potential in those sectors. But like you say, there are so many people with great ideas out there. There's so many problems that need solving that pretty much the opportunities are endless to apply social entrepreneurship. You kept on referencing these companies, these social entrepreneurs, as in the impact engine portfolio. Can you expand on that term? Sure. So Impact Engine has been around for about three years, and we started as an accelerator for um, social ventures. What that means is people are really early stage. They have an idea. They think they know how to address a certain market. They might have kind of an early stage product or service, but they need a lot of help kind of proving out their their theory. Mm -hmm. And they need help, you know, getting into the markets that they want to serve. They need money to support kind of development of their platform. Um, so oftentimes those types of companies will apply for an accelerator. And in an accelerator, you give them a financial investment, and then you also provide them with some kind of mentorship, workshops, seminars to help them get their business off the ground. So Impact Engine has had three cohorts of our accelerator where we've had 23 companies come through. And actually now we're a little bit shifting the model where we're going to run it more frequently with fewer companies and we're going to have more of an early stage fund. Um, but again, we will still be providing companies with financial capital and human capital to help them ensure that they can succeed over the long term. Impact Engine, totally multifaceted. Because over here you have boots on the ground. You guys are building social enterprises through mentorship, like you mentioned, human capital, actual capital, resources with social entrepreneurs. And you guys are also championing this idea about impact investing. Is there anything else that we can see coming out of you guys? Anything else that you guys are championing or kind of working on? I mean, I think just to put some tangible um, body around what we're doing on the investing side. So we think of, yeah, we think of ourselves as a triangle where we're connecting investors, entrepreneurs, and mentors. And we think that everyone can contribute something to each other. So mentors get a lot out of mentoring the social entrepreneurs because often they themselves have been entrepreneurs and they want to pass things on to the next generation. Uh, but we're also trying to educate and empower investors to provide financial capital and just to learn more about what impact investing means. And then from the entrepreneur side, we're providing them the connections to those investors and to those mentors. So again, going for the triple win. <laughs> now, when you talked about these investors that you guys are kind of connecting with and then showcasing what impact investing can do, you guys are also dabbling in the angel investor space. Can you kind of touch on that? Because it's interesting to see that applied to social entrepreneurs. Yep. It's something I always hear applied to tech startups. Yep, yep. Yeah, so angel investing, for those of you who don't know, is just investing at the really early stages of a business. So if you've heard of venture capital before, angel investing comes before venture capital. So it's, it's very high risk. Companies are really early stage. Um, and we believe that people can be angel investors in the impact space just as they could be in the tech space. It's just sort of a different sector or a different focus. Um, and I actually just finished being a participant in an angel investing 101 workshop. And the three panelists that we had there were someone from Impact Engine, someone from Techstars, which is a tech accelerator, 
and someone from um, Hyde Park Angels, which is a different angel group that's here in Chicago that's based more on tech startups. So there's a lot of resources and knowledge that can be shared across angel investors, whether they're doing that in the impact space or in the tech space. What were some of the biggest questions that they had at the panels or things that they were kind of grappling with? Um, I think one of the tough things for early investors is people tend to fall in love with entrepreneurs and the ideas that they have really quickly. So when you have a first meeting with an entrepreneur and they pitch you their idea, you're hooked and you, you know, you love it. You want to do everything that you can to help them. But a lot of the people in the room were saying, how do I kind of temper that enthusiasm and make sure that I'm actually making a good investment and not just flushing money down the drain because I really like someone and I want to believe in them. And I think that's a, that's a tough thing for people to learn and you kind of just have to do it by experience and set up some rules for yourself that say like, you know, I will make sure that I do these four items of due diligence before I invest in a company or something like that. Once again, applying general financial (laughs) principles. Although I imagine that's almost harder with the social entrepreneurs because it's so innovative it tugs at your heartstrings. It's creating a social impact. Personally, I would struggle a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the takeaways from the workshop was it's totally okay to go with your gut. And if you love an entrepreneur, you know, just make sure that you kind of do the follow-up work to verify that your instinct is correct. But there's nothing wrong with falling in love with an idea right away. Just probably like all angel investors, you have to be aware that that capital might not come back. Exactly, Yes. <laughs> All right, so we've touched on impact investing. We've walked through these incredible models for social entrepreneurs, and we've talked about your early stages of investing through angel investing and venture capitalists. But let's talk about some corporate companies. What role do corporate companies have in creating social change? I think that um, a lot of large companies and corporations think, you know, we're never going to be involved in this space. We're not social entrepreneurs because we're not providing a product or service that benefits the world. Like we're just making ice cream cones, let's just say, for example. Um, But I think what they can do and what they maybe don't realize is that you can have impact at every stage of your business and in, in every department of your business. So like we were talking about before, you know, that ice cream cone company has a supply chain. They're getting their flour and their sugar and their butter from somewhere. And so if they can be thoughtful about the farms that they're getting that from, you know, what geographic distance are they trucking those materials in from? Are the farmers who are making those products getting paid a fair wage? So they can be thoughtful kind of in just bringing in the um, ingredients for their product. Then there are the people who are helping them manufacture the ice cream cones. Do they give them health care? Do they provide them, you know, maternity leave? Um, Do they provide them opportunities for upward advancement in their career? So just thinking about not just what your product or service is, but what are all the things and the steps that go into delivering that product or service and how can you have impact in all of those decisions that are leading up to what goes out the door. Once again, it doesn't have to be a big overarching theme. The ability to break it down should be very empowering to companies, even to the point of just knowing where you get your supplies from and knowing maybe some of their business practices or even manufacturing a lot of companies outsource overseas, and things can get a little interesting when you get overseas. I mean, I'm sure things can get interesting here, too. Yeah. But just being very mindful about who you're even working with. Right. That seems like something so small that everyone can easily implement tomorrow. Yep. Right. And I don't, I don't think you need to 
commit to change right away, but like you're saying, just sort of knowledge and educating yourself and knowing what position you're in right now so that then you can start to gauge what are your targets for improvement and when do you want to make those changes and how much do you want to set as a goal for yourself for improvement. It makes it all very achievable. And then if we do get the shift of all companies, both from the small startup space all the way through corporate, just being very intentional mm-hmm. about being better. And it doesn't have to be this overarching theme of we're going to you know, change the world and no more deforestation or no more poverty, but even just being better to the people that work there. We're going to provide a living wage. We're going to provide health care. We're going to make sure our partners are practicing what sustainable measures they can Tomorrow seems really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. When you worked at Kellogg School of Management, part of your job title touched on this idea of corporate social innovation. Can you walk us through what that might mean? Yeah, I think, I don't know if if the podcast listeners have heard of this term before, but something that's kind of increasingly a buzzword at business schools is intrapreneurship. Um, So I think everyone has at least some concept that entrepreneurs are people who go out and start businesses, but intrapreneurs are people who are already working within corporations or existing organizations, but who are trying to initiate change and innovation from within. And so I think that's very closely tied to the idea of corporate social innovation, that even though you're at a big company that seems like there's nowhere to turn, as an entrepreneur and an agent of change, you can find ways to help that company socially innovate by just adjusting small pieces within the business. You mean I don't have to be an entrepreneur to change the world to make it a better place? No, that, yeah, that is the great news. You, that, can, you can start wherever you are at right now. That's huge. That's basically marching orders for everyone in the U.S. Yep. To start looking at their role and seeing what they can do. Small things. Maybe just asking questions, looking at your financial investments and saying, what can we do to have change? Am I aware about what's going on? Yep. So this corporate social innovation and this entrepreneur, can you kind of walk us through what some examples of that in action, kind of break it down to show us how simple it can be? or what a great impact it can have? Yeah, I mean, so there's a company that's called Unilever, which makes a variety of consumer products. And one of the brands that they own is Ben & Jerry's. And Ben & Jerry's has always been a socially responsible business, and they've been thoughtful from the beginning about the social and environmental impact that they have as a company. So when they were bought by Unilever, they kind of put in a few clauses that said, we still want to continue to embody these values. And what's been really interesting is that they and kind of the employees that are associated with Ben & Jerry's, I I feel like, I don't know, I haven't been inside the company, so I can't, can't be sure whether this is true or not, but it seems like having that brand as part of the portfolio has had a ripple effect on the rest of Unilever because Unilever as an overall company now has been making increasing commitments to address their environmental footprint, to be more thoughtful about their social impacts and the choices that they're making as a company. And they are, you know, a multi-billion dollar um, international company. And they're looking at things like how much water are they using in their factories. They're raising money in the capital markets by issuing these things called green bonds, where the money from the bond is only going to be directed towards environmentally friendly um, buildings that they're building for their new factory. So they're going to be, you know, green certified, lower environmental footprint. So this is a huge company that's making a lot of decisions that have 
huge financial impacts, and they have kind of found a way to do that. And I think it was because of that early influence of a few people who said, you know, we're going to stand by our convictions and we're going to make this company think creatively about how they can can meet those kind of value and ethics um, judgments that we want to maintain. That really brings home this idea of corporate or big companies just doing small measures, asking how much water do we use in the factory? Are there ways that we can be more efficient? Those are going to have giant ripple effects, just like you said, acquiring Ben & Jerry's. Yeah, yeah, that's why it's exciting that even though people might feel like their individual contribution or their small piece of change isn't that meaningful, you have to think about the ripple effects and kind of the collective impact that all of those decisions can have. That's a big corporate company. What about these entrepreneurs? What are some suggestions or some marching orders that they might be able to take away? Um, again, I think it starts with what are you passionate about, what are you interested in, kind of what's the big problem that you'd like to solve, and then scale that back to what are the intermediate-term steps or you know, who are the other people. I mean, maybe just a simple suggestion would be find the other people in your company or in your team or your department who have that shared interest with you. So if, it, if your interest is in water or in health or whatever it is, find those other people that share that interest with you get together and talk about what are some small things that you could do just as a team to do recycling or, you know, whatever it may be. Turn off the lights when you leave the office. And a recycling program would be easy to start at a company, something very small, but could have a huge impact. Yep. And then you never know where it can lead to, right? Amazing. Today's Rapid Fire is brought to you by Backcountry.com. Headed out on an adventure? Make sure you have the best gear ready to go. Check out positiveimpactpodcast.com slash backcountry for all of our favorite gear recommendations and the lowdown on their responsible brands. Life is a balance of work, passion, and adventure. Can you tell us about a recent adventure or excursion that you've gone on? Yeah, in July, I went to L.A. to be a volunteer referee uh, in bocce for the Special Olympics World Games. So I've been part of a bocce league for the past couple of years in Chicago, and the organizers have developed a relationship with Special Olympics, so I had the opportunity to go with a small team of people, and it was an amazing adventure. My cousin participates in those Special Olympics. She has Down syndrome. They are the most fantastic, wonderful people you'll ever meet. Yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. I'm really happy that I did it. I don't know if you can top that one, but <laughs> what is a really memorable or interesting trip that you've taken? I love to travel, um, so this is a tough one, but my mom's ancestors are Croatian, or at least on one side of the family, and so actually as a family trip maybe 10 years ago, we went to Croatia to kind of explore our ancestral heritage. And we actually went to the small town where they were from and met some people who we think were our relatives. We didn't speak the same language. Um, we had, there was, there was a cousin somewhere along the line who spoke some English and some Croatian. So she tried to translate for us, but just to kind of be in a totally different world, a totally different environment and find people who we had this shared connection with was a really memorable trip. You look like me. We could be related. <laughs> yeah. Many entrepreneurs, especially social entrepreneurs, find solace and tranquility in the outdoors. Have you found that to be true? And if so, how does that influence your work with Impact Engine? 
I definitely think it's true, and it's interesting that you make that connection because I hadn't made it before. And unfortunately, Chicago is kind of a flat place. <laughs> but um, I have some friends and family who live out on the West Coast, so I've taken the opportunity to go visit them and do some hiking trips. And I think being out in nature, you just are reminded of how big the world is and how insignificant some of your concerns or issues or stresses are. And it's just a really nice way to reset and kind of refocus and balance and remember what is important in life and kind of concentrate on those things and forget about the rest. So when you're on these outdoor excursions, what is your go-to shoe? Oh gosh, I have a pair I have a pair of Patagonia hiking boots that I think I bought on sale years ago and they have served me well. <laughs> is there another outdoor gear or piece of equipment that you just can't go without? You know, I love a good bandana. <laughs> nice. Bringing um, it back. Especially when it's been a couple of days on the trip and you haven't showered. You know, it's fun to throw a little flare in. If so, if I've been wearing the bandana as a headband, then maybe I'm going to move it around my neck, wipe my brow with it. You know, it's, it's a multifunctional piece of uh, clothing. Although if you're backpacking, you haven't been around a shower recently... That's definitely not something that you want to move off of the hair. It's kind of a permanent <laughs> fixture at that point. you got to hide that hair, yeah. Can you describe a time when you were able to have boots on the ground and actually see the impact of the work that you were doing? Yeah, so I'm actually going to steal this example from my boss. Um, one of the companies that's in the Impact Engine portfolio is called Hooray Learning, and they have a product called Hooray Writing that helps kids get excited about writing. So it's often something that kids just dread and they don't, they don't feel inspired and they don't know what to do. And so they, this company is trying to help create really exciting, enticing prompts that help kids want to write and complete stories. And so my boss's kids are fitting right into that demographic. They're like 9 and 13 or 14, don't love writing. And so they came in for a session with the company to try and help brainstorm with them ideas that could make writing more fun for kids. And it was just great to see that, you know, this product in action, that it really did make them more excited about wanting to write. And so that was sort of the ultimate success story. What is one of your biggest successes with Impact Engine? Well, I'm still pretty new to the team, <laughs> so I'll take my small successes right now. Um, but I'm really proud of having helped get our angel network off the ground. Right now we have about 50 people who are members, and these are people who are all committed to making angel investments in the impact space. And so it's really it's great to be a part of, fun of facilitating them meeting each other so that they can co-invest in deals and helping to educate them about this space so that they can continue to support its growth. What's your best failure? Whew, that's a hard question. Um, I think it was when it was in my second job where I was working in wealth management and I really liked what I was doing and I was kind of worried because I didn't know if I was going to be the kind of person who would have the same job for life. And so at some point in that job, I just decided there's, I want more out of my career. I want to be making an impact every day and so I kind of considered it a failure because I had thought I would be in this job forever and I was sort of deciding that I wanted to quit. Um, but I think ultimately that led me to business school and then that led me into impact investing and social entrepreneurship. And I feel really fulfilled by my career now and I'm really happy that I made that change when I did. 
When you were making that change and when you were leaving that company that I imagine you had incredible relationships with, especially since you enjoyed your work, how hard was that? I was terrified. Um, I was especially terrified to tell my boss because she had been a real mentor to me and I think she thought that I would eventually take over for her one day so she ran this business. Um, so it was it was scary and it was hard. But she was incredibly supportive once I told her and kind of made me realize that, you know, the, the greatest thing or whatever, what's that phrase? Fear, nothing to fear but fear itself. Um, and you just kind of have to be willing to change and people are excited to support that change for you. It's great that you brought up mentors because that's actually my next question. What role has mentorship played in your life in either having mentors or being a mentor? Yeah, I think I've been really fortunate to have had great mentors up until now, and actually kind of a unique situation. I've had a lot of female mentors, which is sort of rare in the finance world where it's still quite male-dominated, um, and I think they have just supported me, and especially my mentors who have been people I've worked with, they know sometimes better than you yourself what your strengths and your weaknesses are, so I think especially as I have faced decisions or been at kind of a turning point at various times in my career, they've been able to give me really insightful feedback on, you know, what things I can do to improve and how I can um, be thoughtful about getting the most out of my next experiences. What advice do you have for people looking to find a mentor? I would say um, look at what look at people you already know and see if you can nurture any of those relationships into a mentor-mentee relationship because I think it's really hard to start something cold and meet someone and say, hi, I don't know you, but I'd like you to be my mentor, right? I think there needs to be a little bit of shared experience. And I think um, depending on where you are in your career, I think previous teammates or employers or bosses are a great place to start. So not people who you're currently working with because, you know, there might be some sort of conflicts of interest, but I think people who you've previously worked with, that's a really great place to start. Especially where you pivoted careers a bit, what advice do you have for recent grads who really want a meaningful career and want their job that they're doing to matter? I would say a couple of things. One is that um, you are highly unlikely to end up where you started off, so don't put a ton of pressure on yourself to get the perfect job right when you're you know, getting your first job. I think follow your interests and do something that is interesting to you now and, and just focus on what you're going to learn from it and what you're going to take away from it, but don't think t too hard or worry too much about where that is going to lead you because it will take you on an interesting path no matter what. That's so great because my next question is for people who are already in their career and maybe been there for 5, 10, 15 years, but they're just feeling stuck. Do you have any advice for them? I would say it's kind of parallel to um, dating advice too <laughs> or making friends when you move to a new city, which is focus on things that are interesting to you or you know hobbies or interests that you have outside of work. Um, join a young board for a nonprofit that you like or you know take a class that you like. Just something that, that is outside of work where you might meet a new network of people that could eventually lead to a different job opportunity. So my two bosses 
by no means were stuck or unhappy in their careers, but they actually both came to their roles at Impact Engine through their kind of extracurricular engagement with the company. One of them started as an investor in the fund, and the other one started as a board member. And then eventually the timing was right that they both took full-time roles with the company. But it wasn't something that they had kind of intended to do. It was just an interest that they had pursued outside of work that eventually turned into their work. It's so important the role that relationships play in our life and just meeting different people and getting to talking about ideas and sharing interests. That's definitely been a theme that you've shared throughout the episode. So I love that we got to bring that back. What book do you recommend either to social entrepreneurs, people who want to make an impact or just everyday people? And it's a book that you're obsessed with. So you just tell everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think maybe this will fall into that third category. So there's a book called Give and Take by Adam Grant, who is a professor at Wharton. And I actually got to hear him speak when he was on his book tour a couple of years ago. But it's about the power of um, giving to people and not always focusing on taking. And that by doing small favors for people, that can actually make you feel good. It can help them, and then it will actually have them kind of owe you a favor, so it will help you in the long run as well. And just sort of changing the whole framework around how we define success, that you don't have to be greedy to achieve success, but that by helping others, you can achieve an even more rewarding success. Some powerful concepts right there. Our final question today Is there a mantra or a motto that you use to guide your work with Impact Engine? Yeah, I I don't know that I was aware of it until I thought about this question, but I would say it's um, don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. (laughs) I think in the startup world, there is so much going on and there are so many moving pieces. You never know what the day is going to bring. So I will come into the office. I will have a clear calendar. I'll be like, great, today is the day that I'm going to get all that stuff done. And then four or five meetings pop up and one emergency. And before you know it, my whole day is gone. So I just think staying on top of things as much as possible can help you always be prepared for whatever comes the next day. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. This was absolutely phenomenal. How do people learn more about either you, Impact Engine, or Impact Investing? The internet. (laughs) Um, Thank you, Google. So, yes. So, Impact Engine has a website. It's theimpactengine.com. We're also on Twitter as The Impact Engine. Personally, I'm on Twitter, uh, E.K. Coaston, C-O-S-T-O-N, at Twitter. What about if people want to learn about impact investing? Do you have any resources for that? So, there's a website that's um, the Global Impact Investing Network. It's, I think, thegin.org, G-I-I-N. And they are a great repository of research, reports, and kind of names of people that are in the space. So, I think that's probably a good place to start. Fantastic. Thank you so much. This has been a really enlightening and inspiring session today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Well, that wraps up another inspiring session of the Positive Impact Podcast. I hope you feel inspired to go out and research impact investing and find actual ways that you can put your money where your mouth is and still get an ROI. If you're looking for today's show notes, head on over to positiveimpactpodcast.com slash episode five. We're going to be putting up all the resources and notes from today's episode, including a couple photos that Elizabeth shared with us. And make sure to check out Elizabeth's recommended Give and Take by Adam Grant on 
positiveimpactpodcast.com slash goodreads.